During the Cold War's 60s and 70s, more and more of the funding for deep-water submersibles came from the intelligence community. The most notable was the 1974 ultra-secret Glomar Explorer, a 600-foot ship created under the ruse of a Howard Hughes attempt to mine the deep ocean, but really with only one mission, to send a giant mechanical claw into 20,000 feet of water and pick up part of the hull of a downed Soviet submarine. In raising the nearly 200-foot section of the hull to the surface, the claw cracked, and most of the section was lost. The project cost half a billion dollars. Twenty years after the thresher had gone down, submersibles had gauged currents in the Gulf Stream, located scallop beds, recovered spent torpedoes and missiles, explored manganese deposits, studied geology, and inspected offshore drilling rigs. But if you stripped away the computerized guidance systems, the propulsion systems, the fresh air recyclers, the hydraulics, the new acrylics and seals, the sonar and the cameras, these new submersibles could do little more than attach grappling hooks to objects and let a crew topside winch them to the surface, or grasp something in an awkward claw and hold on. Tommy wasn't thinking about clamping a big claw around a ship's hull. He wanted to explore and document a wreck, then dismantle it, piece by piece, moving one piece without disturbing another. He wanted to recover delicate objects, and he wanted to film and photograph it all with 35mm cameras and video cameras, black and white, color, and 3D. He envisioned an automated machine shop that he could operate from thousands of feet above. But the problems began at the surface. You had to have some way of getting your submersible off the ship and into the water. Winds of only ten knots pushed the sea into three-foot waves, which slapped against the submersible as you tried to lower it through the air-sea interface, and that three-foot wall of water with the weight of the ocean behind it ripped off manipulators and sometimes mashed the submersible's hull. If you got your submersible safely into the water, your ship at the surface was rising and falling, while your submersible was descending. Each fall caused the cable to go slack, and each rise snapped the cable taut. The load suddenly became ten times heavier than the submersible itself, and the cable often broke, and you lost your submersible. That armored cable was filled with electromechanical wires that carried signals down to the sub and back again. If the snap loading didn't break it, every time that cable passed over a pulley, the wires bent and straightened with the weight, often ten times the weight of the vehicle itself, and the wires fatigued and parted. A replacement cable took three months to manufacture, and carrying a spare cable on board meant needing more space on a bigger ship tended by a larger crew, for much more money. Attempting to land on the seafloor was risky and difficult for two reasons. First, the rocking of the ship would jerk the vehicle. One minute you'd be looking at the bottom, the next minute you'd see nothing. The next minute the camera would be in the mud. Second, hanging something heavy on the end of a cable twisted the cable. If you set that heavy weight on the seafloor and slackened the cable at the same time, the twisted cable tied itself in knots, like the cord on a telephone. When an armored cable with several thousand pounds on the end kinked up, and the bouncing of the ship topside jerked on those kinks, the cable again often broke, which meant you left your vehicle on the bottom and headed back to the beach for the rest of the season. One way around the problems was to pack all of your power on board the sub, forego communication, and put humans inside and let them drive around at will. But this put lives at risk, so every system had to have a backup. Ninety percent of the engineering would go to designing redundancies, and the vehicle would have to be much heavier. Often, an entire mothership had to be built around the submersible,
driving the cost into the tens of millions of dollars. Tommy would not have an unlimited budget. Whatever technology he created would have to be done as cheaply as possible. And the real problem with every system was that it couldn't perform significant work tasks on the bottom. To allow them to float underwater, they had a narrow, unchangeable center of buoyancy, and their manipulators had to be extremely short. Even if a manipulator had a short reach that would not tip the sub, it still couldn't do anything that required force, or an equal force transferred to the vehicle and turned it upside down. Tommy eliminated systems that required the presence of humans on the bottom. They were too expensive, too dangerous, too limited. I figured that the secret was to build a stable unmanned system that could work on the bottom for days at a time with as many mechanical functions as possible. A robot, an underwater, remote, operated vehicle, or ROV. The oil industry was starting to use them, and the military...